0: Here's Pastor Scott. This month, I hope that you've read the book of Jonah already. If you haven't, uh, you've got plenty of time left this month to read it once, twice, ten more times. Uh, there's less than 50 verses in the whole book, so there are chapters that are longer uh, than the book of Jonah. It's, it's, a, it's a great book, and I've been preaching through it this month. We looked at the first chapter. I preached a message called You Can Run, But You Can't Hide, and we saw that... The first thing God told Jonah to do was to get up. And I said that that's still the word of the Lord for us today. Uh, Some of you need to get up and get active. Some of you need to get up and start living. See, there's a difference between existing and living. And you need to make sure that you're living. You need to make sure that you're engaging in life, that you're engaging in your purpose, that you're engaging in the lives of the people that you care about. So make sure that you get up and be about it. And we saw that. God told Jonah to do something he didn't want to do. See, Jonah was like many of us. Jonah was okay serving God on his own time frame. Jonah felt good about serving God as long as it didn't make him uncomfortable. See, there are some people that will outpray everybody else in the room. There are some other people that will uh, outgive everybody else in the room. There are some people that out praise and worship God more than everybody else in the room. But whatever it is that you're comfortable doing, whatever it is that you enjoy doing, does not give you a hall pass from doing everything else that God said to do. And Jonah, he was okay doing certain stuff, but then when God told him to do something that he was uncomfortable with, he ran because he wanted to serve God on his own terms. And when God said go to Nineveh, Jonah was like, I don't like those people, and I'm not going to talk to them, and there's nothing you can do to make me do it. I've had people stand in my office and say, Pastor, I don't care what you say, and I don't care what God says, I'm not doing this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, man, there's a big old fish with your name in his belly. He's waiting on you to show up and take your seat in the middle of all his vomit. We saw how bad things can get for people who don't follow God. We saw saw that... In chapter 1, that if you run from the Lord that and you run to other folks, eventually they're going to throw you out and God's going to swallow you up. Then when we looked at the second chapter, I preached a message called, How Do I Get Out of This Trap? And we, we found Jonah in, in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. And I talked about how ridiculous that is because here's the deal. I, I believe this for me and for most of us, we would hope to think that if we get in the middle of a mess because of our refusal to obey God, that we won't stay there for a long time. The average person, if you ask them, okay, if you ran from God, if God told you to do something and you were slipping, you, you, were, you, were, you, you were not doing what God said, and God chastised you and put you in a negative situation, would you repent and get right quickly, or would you just stay stuck on stupid? Most people think for them they would repent quickly, but if they just look back at the course of their life, they'd find out that Jonah's not the only one who stayed stuck on stupid. Jonah stayed in the belly of the whale because he just refused. He was, you know, he was like some of those strong-willed kids. They just like, I won't cry. I won't. I, I remember when Seth had to get, I don't know if it was his. Five-year-old or six-year-old shots, but it's the one where they jam two in this thigh and two in that thigh. And Jake had gotten it two years before, and he was excited that Seth was going to be getting it because he knew the drama of it, he knew the pain of it, and so the older brother always gets to torture the younger brother. And he said, "Oh, I wish I could be there. It's going to hurt." And you know that's just how kids do each other. You're like, "Pastor, your sons need Jesus." Well, you know that everybody needs Jesus, and so Seth looked at him, five years old. I will not cry. And so he went there, and that lady jammed that first needle in his leg, and his eyes got big, and he bit down, and she jammed the next one. He's not breathing the whole time. He's just, and she went the other two. And he sat there, and his whole face turned purple, and he wasn't breathing. She finally blew in his face to force make him take a breath, but he didn't cry. And she said, I've never seen a kid not let out something. I said, well, he made a promise to his brother that he wasn't going to. See, some people just strong will, just refuse to, to yield. Don't be that ignorant. When you backslide, when you get, when God starts to put you in a mess, You need to turn to God quickly. See, that's what differentiated uh, David from Saul. People think, uh, because Saul was Israel's first king and David was the second, and people look at Saul as a bad king and look at David as a good king, and they think about David being so godly. David was more ungodly than Saul. David did more bad things than Saul. The problem was Saul was stiff-necked and David was rubber-necked. Every time David would get away from God, he'd spin back around and go back to God. When Saul messed up, he stood his ground and said, it's them, it ain't me. I'm doing right. So don't be that strong-willed, stubborn person. Don't have to stay so long in the belly of the fish because, listen, God's going to get his way. I'm going to say it again. God is going to get his way. It's going to happen sooner or later, through, through much or through little, and I, we're going to look at chapter 3 this morning. We're going we're to see after you run from the Lord, been caught, spent time in the whale's belly, and get back on dry land, it's time to get on with the getting on. We could skip this right now and go into uh, some altar ministry if we had enough people on point that have been reading this book this month and just agree together, it's time to get on with it. God has a purpose for every one of us being here. God has a plan for your life. But you probably, if truth be told, you're either running from God, heading to the whale, or you're already in the whale's belly, and you're not willing to do what it takes to get out. Mm. We're going to look at at chapter 3 this morning, and and we're going to look at a warning, a response, and a result. Let's look at the warning that God gave in verse 1 and following in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Then, if you've been around me for any length of time, you understand that then is when? Then always comes after. Sometimes it's after a good thing. Sometimes it's after a bad thing. But then is a good place to be because then is a place of transition. Then is a place of stopping that and going to something else. Everybody in this room should have a then moment today. You should step into your then process today, because if you have been struggling, you need to say, I've been struggling, but then, and move on to a different place. If you've been advancing, you need to say, I was advancing, but then, and move on to even a better place than that. Then, the Lord, after a bunch of stuff happened to Jonah, the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. I'm thankful that our God is gracious. I told you before, and I hope that you understand it already, that people who say they're glad to be serving the God of the New Testament and not the Old Testament, they don't really understand God. They say, well, the God of the Old Testament was full of wrath, fury, and judgment, and the God of the New Testament is full of love, grace, and mercy. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. The God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament. God is full of love, grace, and mercy, but he's still full of wrath and judgment and fury. But God, even in the Old Testament, the Bible says that he was slow to anger, quick to pardon, ready to forgive, full of mercy and loving kindness. This loving, kind, great, merciful, patient God is a much different father than some of us. This gracious, loving, merciful, kind, patient God was willing to speak to Jonah a second time. Now my sons know if I have to repeat myself, it's 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 just all hell to pay. It's just trouble in the Becker home at that point. My kids know that I've had a saying since they were born that it's first time what every time. First time every time. And I thank God that God has more patience with me than I have with my own. All right? God is patient. Say God is patient. God is patient with Jonah. You see, because here's the thing about God. The reason why we as parents sometimes lose our cool with our kids and we're not as patient, honestly, we just get tired of whooping them. I mean, we just get tired of taking stuff from them. We get tired. If you care about your kids, you do these things. You, you follow the Bible. We get tired of actively parenting them. You see, to actively parent a child is exhausting because you've got to be on them all the time. If you just leave them to themselves, the Bible says they'll, they'll, they'll um, bring you to shame, but it, it's less work. And the reason why most of us, we just, you know, uh, I ain't even going to deal with it this time. But God's patience is not predicated on his laziness. God's patience is not predicated on his refusal. See, because God is willing to continue to discipline you every time. That's the God that we serve. He understands that if you obey You get a blessing. If you don't obey, you get chastisement. But God spoke to Jonah a second time. I want you to understand the character of God. I want you to see God as a loving, forgiving God. Not this mean, angry God waiting to zap you with a lightning bolt. That's not who God is. God is the God of a second chance, the God of another chance. God will continue to give his children opportunity. After opportunity. So God's already told Jonah something in chapter 1. Jonah blew it. How many of y'all know we do that? God tells us what to do. We blow it. But God doesn't give up on us. That's good news for somebody right there. You ought to be glad that God hasn't given up on you yet because of your disobedience. And so God, even though Jonah's disobeyed, even though Jonah hadn't come around to right yet, God still loves Jonah and God decides to speak to Jonah a second time. And in verse 2, he says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, comma. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, comma. Somebody real quick, count up the number of words that is. That's 10. 10 words. Those are the exact same 10 words that God spoke to Jonah in chapter 1, verse 2. The exact same 10. 10 words that he's already said. He told Jonah those exact same 10 words. Jonah didn't do it, ended up in a mess. Guess what happens if you don't do what God's telling you to do? You're going to end up in a mess. And then after you decide to get out of the mess, God is going to tell you again. So God says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given to you. That's so funny to me because it's just like God, he tells us to do something, we don't do it, he disciplines us, and then he still makes us do it. That's good parenting. That is good parenting. If you tell your children to clean up their room before you get home from work, you come home from work and it's not cleaned up, some repercussion needs to happen. If you don't teach your children repercussion, they won't be quality adults. They, they won't learn about authority. They won't learn about right and wrong. But God is always right. And when God tells you to do something, you don't do it, there's repercussions. And here, here's the deal. If you tell your kids, clean up the room before I get home. Now, I'm talking about if you're a good parent. They don't clean up the room, repercussion. Whether it's a spanking, whether it's a grounding, whether it's to take something away from them, whatever it is. But guess what else? If I told my kids, clean up the room before I get home. They don't clean up the room uh, they they get some type of repercussion and guess what they still have to do clean up the room my stepfather was was a mean abusive man and uh but he taught me things i i learned things from him and he said things that were so hateful i mean I, me and dean have stuff stuck in our head from our childhood that Uh, And she could finish every sentence if I gave you some of his phrases. But he said lots of hateful stuff. But some of the stuff he said, I look back on, and I realize it was true. And because I was that uh, black sheep of my family, I was that hard-headed, strong-willed child that wasn't going to do what I was told to do. I, I, I was that belligerent, rebellious, unsaved teenager. And he said something to me then that I look back on now, And even in spite of how horrible he was, I realized he was telling the truth. He would look at me and say, boy, you work harder at getting out of work than it would take you just to do it the first time. Any of y'all got kids like that? They, they just, if they would just do what you told them to do the first time, they, I mean, they, 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 they go into excuse making, they go into whining, they go into crying, they go into shape shifting. I mean, they just turn into somebody else. But at, but at the end of the day, they still have to do it. First time, every time. If you would learn how to do things first time every time that's why I was the distinguished honor graduate in my advanced individual training class in the United States Army because everything they told me to do I did it right everything they told me to do I did it the first time without any variance from it so if you do it right the first time you avoid lots of trouble Jonah didn't do it right the first time but God is so gracious that he is willing to speak to you again but when he speaks to you again hear me he doesn't Change the narrative. He doesn't change the instruction. He doesn't like, well, I, I tried to get them to do clean the room up the first time and they didn't do it and I beat the skin off them, so maybe I'll only make them clean up half the room. Nope, still clean up the room. It's still the same instruction because here's what God is about God is about, hear me, the retest. And I hate that. See, there's some things I read in the Bible that just encourage me, that just fill me with such hope and joy and, and, and just, just warm feeling all over the inside. And then there's some stuff I read just make me want to throw the book across the room and kick rocks. Just me? Start reading it. You'll find out what I'm talking about. Some things I read, I'm like, man, I could do without that that's sometimes it's a uh, you, you can say amen other times you have to say oh me other times you might say ouch other times you might just quit church for a year I don't know what your process is but God is so merciful he not only allows us but causes us to take retests and I hate that I can't stand that if I'm in a class and I'm carrying a b average I feel okay about that um should be an A, but if I'm carrying a B average, if i got a high B and I take some pop quiz and I, I just I flunk it, I make bad on it. I wasn't ready. I was half asleep when I took it, so I just Christmas treat it, got an F on it. Uh, I don't want to, t- that's not going to bring my grade down that much. quiz is only 15% of the overall grade in, in this certain class that I'm making up as I go. And that's funny. And so... I'm like, okay, well, that's not only going to bring my 89 down to an 83. It's still a B. I ain't sweating this, this test. But if the, t- if the teacher tells me, because I'm so loving, because I'm so gracious, and because I'm so merciful, Scott, I'm going to have you, I'm going to allow you in my goodness to take that test again tomorrow. i would be like, lady, I already failed it once. I ain't going to do no better on it tomorrow than I did on it today. I don't like retests. Give me my F and let me keep moving. Okay? Give me my F. If it brings my grade down to a C, just give me my F and let me. I don't know the information on that test, lady. So I don't like retests. If I failed it the first time, there was a good reason why I failed it the first time. See, some of y'all have to take retests in in school because, you know, you 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 gotta get that grade up and you're serious about it. That's awesome. Me personally, I don't want to take a retest. If I failed it just just dab my grade for it let's keep moving. Not God. Nope. God, God sees this as his mercy. I see it as his punishment. God sees this as his patience. I see this as him working me. God sees this as, as merciful. I see it as man. Can we just move on? But see, here's the reality. It doesn't matter how I see it. It doesn't matter how you see it. It just matters how God sees it. That's why you know you're in a mess when you get around somebody saying, well, what does that scripture mean to you? doesn't matter what it means to you. doesn't matter what it means to me. It means what it means. You know, you don't, Dad, Dad said, be in bed by 9 o'clock. Uh, my two sons look at each other they're like, well, what did that mean to you? It means he's going to kick the door off the frame if you ain't in bed by 9 o'clock. That's what it meant. But see, the Bible says that scripture is no private interpretation. So, whether you thank God for the retest or you hate to retest with me, God still gives the makeup test. I'm not a fan of the makeup test, I'm going to be honest with you. But sometimes it works out. And so, God is giving Jonah his makeup test by giving him the exact same 10 word command that he gave to him in chapter 1. Now, here's the crazy thing. If you look at this, you realize Jonah could have avoided a whole lot of stink and stank if he would have just did it right the first time. He could have just saved himself a lot of hurt. Can you imagine? Now, here's the thing. If you go to somebody's having a crab or you show up, you know, wear a shirt you don't care about, right? Um, that way you don't have to wear a bib. And so just wear some jeans you don't care about. You, you just throw them away when you're done. But you got to realize it doesn't matter what you do. Your hands are going to stink. When you go to lay down at night, oh, man. I can't sleep like this. i got to sleep like this. So you get up and wash your hands again. Guess what that did? Nothing. Still smell like crabs. And, and, and so you, you, you get online and you research. Oh, wash your hands with toothpaste. It'll take the smell out. So you wash your hands with half your tube of toothpaste. What would that do? Nothing. You still stink. If you get so much stink on you, it gets down into your skin. That's something that you want to avoid. See, it's not just the three days that he spent. Uh, It's a lifetime of flashback. It's a lifetime of remembering that smell. It's a lifetime of remembering that tragic event in his life. All he had to do was do it right the first time, but he didn't. So here he's faced with having to do it the second time. And if he's me, I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, come on, man, I can't, I already told you I can't do that. But God does not change the test just because you failed it. The test stays the same. Get it in your mind. The test stays the same. Some of y'all dealing with addictions. Some of y'all dealing with habits. Some of y'all dealing with emotions that you know need to be changed. You know something has to change, and you know exactly what it is that has to change. But you think you're going to slip by God. Mm, See, I'm preaching better than y'all are staring at me right now because this is what folk do. You just really believe, well, everybody else has to get right with God. All the other Christians have to do those things, but I'm special. You're special kind of stupid. You're special. You're special because you smell like vomit off a whale's butt. You're special. Because you aren't smart enough to realize these rules apply to everybody. You're not going to sneak by God. You're not going to continue in that deficit. You're not going to continue in that ungodly behavior and not have a repercussion. And getting a massive repercussion does not exempt you from having to go back and do it right. I know lots of people who have done things as a Christian. They knew they shouldn't have done. God gave them space. grace to change they didn't they end up getting caught we end up in jail out of jail end up in trouble end up divorced bankrupt whatever the case may be and then they get right with god and say i'm changed forever And for, you know, three weeks later they're right back to the mess and if your behavior got you caught up in a bad mess the last time guess what it's going to get you caught up in this time same thing another bad mess And God is going to continue to say, oh, here goes that retest. You get to take it all over again. Let's see how you do this time. Because here's what you need to know. If you don't get anything out of today's message, get this. God never runs short on big fish. God doesn't run out of fish to swallow you up. God doesn't run out of prison for you. God doesn't run out of probation rehabilitation for you. God doesn't run out of his discipline For you just because you fail. I wish he had just whooped me and let me move on. But he whoops me and makes me take that test again. And he calls that mercy. Did anybody, you understand what I'm saying yet? I'm like, that's just a bad plan, God. Can we talk about that? No, we cannot. God is not interested in my advice on his plan. He's not interested in your advice on his plan either. That's why if you ever hear somebody say, well, me and the big man upstairs, we got, a little, we got our own thing worked out. You know they're just fake and foolish. You know they're lying. God don't work out things, special plans with people. He's got this plan, and this plan includes retests. Say retest. So he tells them his exact same ten words that he said in uh, verse 2 of chapter 1. Now he's saying it again in verse 2 of chapter 3. Same command, but there's a different result coming. And here's what I want you to get. God's not going to stop putting you through what you're going through until your behavior changes. God is not going to stop. It doesn't matter. You can cry crocodile tears all you want to. You can make false, phony, big emotional decisions if you want to. But God is not going to stop chastising you until he gets a different result. Uh, because, listen, the Lord never changes. Then the Scripture, he said, I'm the Lord, I change not. It's, it's not possible for God to change. He is what he is. He says what he says, and he means what he says. In verse 3, the Scripture says, This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. Comma, always pay attention to the punctuation. Take the Scripture in bite-sized pieces so you can digest it. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. Now, this time infers what there was another time this time Jonah obeyed the Lord the other time Jonah didn't are you following me this time he didn't get no new information but he got a different outcome I I need you to understand this morning you will not get new information this is the information we have you're not going to get new information. This is what there is. If you get a vision from God, if, if God comes in your bedroom and has a conversation with you and he tells you something in a dream, if somebody prophesies over you and, and tells you something uh, in a church service, if it, if it differs with this, this is still right. And all the rest of that stuff is wrong. This is written down. It's unchanging. So God is not going to change what he has To say to you, the only thing that can change is us. So here's my question this morning. Are you going to change or you got another fish in your future? Are you going to change or do you have going back to prison in your future? Are you going to change or do you have more failure in your future? Because the test stays the test. And he says that this time Jonah obeyed the Lord. I hope you have it this time. I know God's gracious enough to have a second time to, to give you that test. And he, let me tell you, he, he's gracious enough to have a second time. A 42,911 time. Long as you keep failing it. And I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm telling you, I ain't telling you what I heard, I'm telling you what I know. I failed some tests repeatedly, and I have just looked up to God uh, with, like, come on, man. Just, just fell, flunk me out on that part. I can't do that. Uh, but No. He loves me too much. Now, I say loves me too much because it don't feel like love at the time. You know, the Bible says no chastening for the moment feels good, but chastisement helps us in the long run, and that's something you learn by and by. But this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command, and he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. We travel so far and so fast that there are people, I know Deacon Ken Uh, probably get this much mileage on his car today just coming from deep middleburg to to georgetown drive and going back if he stops somewhere for lunch and that's even more mileage but 60 miles is how big this city was 60 miles circumference the city and the surrounding areas they included that in their metro area took three days to walk it which roughly means they walk about three miles an hour get you know seven hours a day worth of walking in, the rest, resting. Some of y'all are like, man, I walk in, too. I, 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 I just get, you know, ten hours this day, and that's how some of y'all drive. When I was younger, I used to drive like that. We used to go and see, I was talking to Gail's mom yesterday, or day before yesterday, and we're talking about going up to see uh, great-grandma because she's 99 this year, and we're debating whether we want to go this year or next year. You know, next year will be 100. That's, you know, somehow bigger than 99, but we know she's here now, so, you know, there's that issue. It's a 13-hour drive. So when Gail was alive, we would ride with them, and we would just drive it in one shot. 13 hours. It was like, yeah, that's no big deal. i drive from here to Houston, same 13 hours, from here to Houston, uh, one shot, no big deal. Now, I literally have stopped. We'd be in Atlanta watching a game, uh, Hawks or Braves, and be driving home, and be like two hours out be like, I I can't make these last two. Let's just stop and get a hotel room. I used to drive 13 hours straight. I used to get from here to Pennsylvania and and criticize anybody who want to stop and use the bathroom. Use that Gatorade bottle. Man, we got to ride. We're trying to get somewhere. Why y'all ladies can't use a Gatorade bottle? Come on now. Y'all say y'all do anything a man can do. Check two, two. You don't check one or three. You check two, two. And now I ain't trying to do that. So whether you're a seven-hour-a-day seven walker or a 10 hour a day walker, it's about a three-day worth of walking. So this was a big city, and big cities typically have a lot of people. And big cities typically have a lot of people in, in the same situation, Okay. Now, the people in this situation hated God and hated God's people. And Jonah wasn't about them. And not only is he going to talk to people that he has a racial problem with, he's going to talk to people that he does not want to see repent. And there's a lot of them. It's a a big city. Look at verse 4 in Jonah 3, 4. It says, On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now. Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, as I read that, I'm thinking, first thought in my mind was, okay, he's got his head on straight because Jonah was a prophet. And the message, see, when people prophesy that God sees your hard work and your glory is about to come through and you're about to go from the bottom to the top and you're about to stop being the janitor and you're about to be the CEO, they, all that's lies. That, they're just trying to get a good offering out of you because that ain't even how prophets prophesy in the Bible. Prophets prophesy, judgment is coming. Get right or die. That's what Jonah's been saying that to all these cities. He didn't like saying it to Nineveh because he didn't want them to repent. He wanted them to die. But, so when I first read this, I'm thinking, okay, Jonah got his mind right. He ain't trying to go back and fish his belly. He's not trying to smell like puke and can't wash it off him. He's trying. He, he's doing what the Lord said. But then I thought, well, hold on now. What's he saying? Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Then I thought he might be chuckling under his breath about that. You know, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a racial problem right there. You know, if, if, if you take a Black Panther and, and he knows that people are coming to kill everybody in the clan meeting uh, on 103rd Street and, and he walks in and says, oh, y'all going to die in 15 minutes. He's not prophesying in hope they'll run out and get saved. He's saying that in the joy of destruction. Are y'all, follow? y'all act like y'all can't follow that. I'll keep moving. He said 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, in reading through, i got to believe he was conflicted in that because in later verses it tells us how he didn't really want to see them repent. He was glad they were going to be destroyed. See, here's here's the sad thing that we go through in life. We have people who are against us. Christians have the world against them. If you live for God enough, somebody in your family is going to be against you. If you live for God enough, somebody on your job in your school is going to be against you. Jesus said, Don't marvel if they hate you. They hated me first. It's not you that hate, it's the God in you that they hate. And so we we we've got that. Christians have the world against them. There, there's racial disparity in this country. There has to be based on the founding of this country. And and, and so there's this there's this lack of unity, there's this lack of harmony and there, there, there's people that you're going to want to see do better and people that you're going to want to see do worse. See, my personal opinion, and I'll get off it because some of y'all hate when I get on it, I'll get off it. I believe that white people and black people should view each other equally and treat each other the same. All right? I believe in equality. I believe that, that we're all one race. I believe we're the human race. Uh, I believe. Uh, see, me, me and my brother David Thomas, we love each other. We we talk on the phone. We uh, one, one day I'm gonna take that fishing invitation he's given me three hundred times. Uh, we we we're the same age. We've been through some of the same stuff. We we deal with. I mean, we got a lot in. We're the same. We're we're men. We're human beings that happen to be men. I don't see him as he's black. And Obviously, I already told y'all, you meet somebody who says, I don't see color, send him to a doctor and, and a therapist because they're lying and they're colorblind. Uh, it's not that I don't recognize his skin is darker than mine. Everybody's skin is darker than mine. I put sunscreen on to stay this white. I believe that we should really not just live up to what this nation said it aspired to be, all men being created equal. Not just live up to that, but live up to what the Bible says, that we love God and we love people. But I see white people really don't want black people to be equal. They they, they want to continue to stand on the net. And black people, there's a certain well not all white people, some white people, let me say that. And some black people don't really want to be equal They're not really looking for equality. They're looking for reparation. They're not looking for equality. They're looking for revenge. They're they're not looking for equality. They're looking for let me get to higher ground so I can kill all of them. Mm, Yeah, y'all don't want to talk about that on Sunday morning. So (laughs) let let me get back to it. Jonah is dealing with a group of people that he hates racially, and they hate him. His people have been killed by these people. And, and enslaved by these people. He, he don't like these people at all. But I, I want you to know that it doesn't matter if you're red, yellow, black, or white. God demands that his followers love everybody. So whatever side of that equation you're on, you better learn to start seeing people as human beings created in the image of God. Some some are more bright-skinned. Some are more dark-skinned. So, I mean, it, it, it's so funny. I hear people, I, I don't know, white, white people don't do it at, at, at the same level of, uh, sophistication that black people do it. You know, black people, they, they, they got red bone, high yellow, pecan. They, they got dark. They got black, blue black. I mean, they, 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 they just, I mean, that's just, you know, a brown paper bag test. Uh, y'all can't pass that brown paper bag test. Uh, I, I went to school with a girl who wore long sleeve shirts to school in the heat, and I asked her about it. She said, my mom makes me. Cause she, she, And she, she, her mom literally was, could you imagine? Her mom was holding a grocery sack up next to her telling her she was too dark. That's one of the reasons why there's problems in the community. But let me keep moving. I don't know why white people don't do it. I mean, if, if you look at me and, I mean, uh, uh, one of these other three white people in the room. If you look at me, my, we, we don't have, like, white, white, off-white, pink, bright pink. Red, tomato red. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't have that. I mean, why do we got to get left out? Nineteen different shades of black, one, one shade of white. I mean, that's, I might start something. Jonah don't like these people. They don't like him. But it does not give him the right to mistreat them. It does not give him the right to treat them differently than he treats what he considers his own people. And I've been saying this for years, and I'm still convinced of it, that if Christians would ever truly find us and them as us being Christians and them being people who hate our God, we could have real unity. Instead, we find us and them racially, or we find us and them academically, or we find us and them social class structure. But Jonah has these difficulties going on in his mind, but it does not give him, let him off the hook. He's still got to go preach what God told him to preach. He said, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. So here's Jonah doing what God said, preaching to Nineveh that in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. I want to tell you something. These people are without a doubt some of the greatest if not the greatest enemies of God on the planet at the time. Capital of the Assyrians, they were notorious tormentors. I told y'all 2 weeks ago, they would bury people to to the to the in the sand up to their neck and then run over them with farming instruments or or torture them with scorpions. They they were more into torture a uh, dragon out killing. I heard a comedian one time. Her, her name was Gambino. She was from the Gambino crime family. She said, some of y'all are af- afraid of the mafia. Some of y'all are afraid of gangsters. I, I, I'm not afraid of gangsters. I'm afraid of rednecks. She said, because gangsters will kill you, but hillbillies will keep you. In their garage for three days. I mean, these were the hillbillies of the Old Testament. They, they weren't just out to kill. They were out to keep. They were out to torture. They, they were the enemies of god but because god loves everybody even those who've done him wrong he gives them opportunity and he gives them what i see as a better opportunity than he gives us let me ask you this what day are you going down you don't know what time you going down in the morning afternoon late at night you're going to get a snack before you die you're going to get one last drink before you go out? I mean, you don't know. He gave these people a set time frame. He said 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, see, there's a certain group of people that if you gave them 40 days, when are they going to start working on it? 39 and a half. They're like, hey, dog, I got three days left, man. I had I to do what I got to do. So... But you got other people that are like, uh, he said 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. He didn't say when he was going to start it. So I'm going to go ahead and get right now so I don't get me or none of my stuff caught up in a whirlwind. You got to figure out what kind of person you are. But they got a blessing that we don't have. They knew when the end was coming. He gave us this 40 days. See, 40 is a significant number in the Bible, often associated with testing and judgment. It rained for 40 days. And 40 nights when the earth flooded. Uh, Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai. Twelve spies searched Palestine for 40 days. Israel wandered 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus fasted for 40 days and nights. And here God gives Nineveh 40 days to prepare for judgment. I want you to understand, God gave Nineveh a luxury that you and I don't have. We don't know. We don't know. God said this when talking about how people should do right but keep, keep tripping. He said, my spirit will not always strive with man. What he's saying is, I've been tolerating y'all for more than a minute. And I'm about ready to bring the hammer. See, some some of y'all parents, my my kids don't really get a whole lot of warning. I mean, I'm just a different kind of guy. I mean, you can blame it on just being a bad human being. You can blame it on post-traumatic stress. You can blame it on how I was raised or what I believe about discipline. But, But I go from here to here that fast. My kids, if like, hey, we're all good, say one thing wrong. Bam! I, I, I just went from your friend to your disciplinarian. And so uh, my kids don't get the benefit that benefit that Nineveh got. And we don't get that benefit from God. God promised he's not always going to look the other way at your sin. Some of y'all, if you tell the truth, you've been slipping for more than 40 days. Some of y'all been slipping for four years or longer. What makes you think that judgment won't come your way? Tyler, the message, the clock is ticking, and judgment is coming. And I am sure of that. The, I don't know when. I do know the clock's ticking. I know we're closer to it now than we were this morning. I know we're closer to it now than we were yesterday. These people had a luxury that we don't have. God told them how long they had to get right. We don't know if it will be today, next month, next year. But we do know this, the clock's ticking. And God is serious about it. Us, being holy. Listen to what the Bible says. Uh, find First Thessalonians chapter five for me, guys. First Thessalonians chapter five. I want you to see what God gives to us. He gave the He gave the people in Nineveh how many days? All right, that, that was a, that was a special deal going on. I don't know why He would do that. He's so gracious to these haters, you know. But then He wants to sneak up on us. Uh, that's that's like you know. If, if dad normally comes home at 5 o'clock, and he's coming home at 3, you want to call, don't you? I mean, you're like, hey, let me know you was on your way, man, because I still ain't took out the trash, done my homework, or cleaned the kitchen. What are we talking about here? I was waiting to 451. one. All right, In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says, Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. Now, if he, if he said that to me, I'd have been like, ho, 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 ho. What do you mean you don't really need to write me? Do you know? He's talking about judgment. Talking about the axe falling. Talking about the hammer dropping. Talking about the belt to the face. He's talking about real disaster here. He's like, oh, we don't even really need to tell y'all when this is going to happen. He would have to explain to me he didn't know. Because I'd be like, hey, man, hook a brother up. They'll let me know. I mean, you know when it's going to be because I might have to, you know, ducks in a row, line up some things. But he said, we don't really need to write you. In verse 2, he said, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord will return, the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. Oh, man, that's, that's the reality for us. None of us said, y'all got 40 days to get it together, the hammer's going to drop. Here's what God is telling us now in the New Testament. Totally out of the blue, you ain't gonna see it coming in the moment you least are ready, like a thief in the night. And the scripture went on to say, if the good man of the home would have known what time the thief's coming, he stayed up with him, had had his uh, you know nine with seventeen plus one in the chamber and put eighteen holes in it. But you don't know. See, so the thief comes when when you're sleeping hard and you don't hear him coming. And you find all your stuff gone, and you wish you could have woke him up. But the thief comes unexpectedly. And Jesus said that's how his return is going to be for us. Verse 3 says, when the people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And there will be no escape. Now, I don't know enough or a lot about labor. Don't want to. Thank God I'm a man. Y'all come out the man up tonight. We'll talk about it. But I witnessed two children being born, my two children being born, and they, they went different because, you know, I'm hearing about all this water break. Now, women know more about this stuff than men. Y'all hold on, women, men. I'll get to you in a minute. But uh, when, when Jake was born, we didn't get that sign, you know. I mean, contractions just started coming faster, and she's like, I think we need to go to the hospital, and they kept waiting on the water to break. Check this out, fellas. The water didn't break. Uh, they they took put a hook up in there and popped it. I'm like, hey, hold on now. What are you doing? That's mine. I mean, what what are we creating damage over here? What is happening to the world? <laughs> Barbaric clothes hanger action. What are y'all doing? I mean, this ain't 1930. Y'all have to have some sanitation device, but totally different. It looked the same because it's like when a woman about to have a baby, it comes on suddenly. Uh, we had a daycare at the church at that time, we were in Middleburg, and Gail had to go into work at 5.30 in the morning to open up the daycare. You're like, you had your wife working at nine months pregnant. I had my wife working the day she delivered. Uh, <laughs> hallelujah. She loved it. She was there because she wanted to be there. And So she went into work, and she, she felt like, you know, we, we need to go to the hospital. This, these contractions are coming really fast. So uh, we, we get to the hospital, And with with Seth, he's on his way. And the nurse, we we go to the checkout thing, we put her in a wheelchair, give her a place to sit, because you know, Orange Park Medical Center make you wait for 12 days just to get an aspirin. And the lady says, Well, has your water broke yet? And just that time, there it was on the floor. Kaboom! Like, I thought you didn't break water. So I've seen it happen. Both ways. Sometimes there's that warning sign and sometimes they're not. But the reality is a woman stays pregnant for a long time to have that. Some women stay in labor for a long time. to have. You are not born over a 32-hour labor. You, you, you are in the process for that long, but you're born in an instant. You come out in a rush in an instant. And that's how God says his coming back is going to be. Uh, there, there, it's going to happen suddenly. It's going to happen. Uh, you might have an idea that it's coming, but exactly when? It's like people say, well, when's your due date? I'm like, what kind of mad voodoo you practicing? When's your estimated time of arrival? I can go with that. But, oh, no, uh, eight months from now, actually on a Tuesday at 1.15 p.m. You know, that's not how labor works, and that's not how God's judgment works. We ought to realize that the belly is swollen. We ought to realize the pregnancy's been intact for a long time. We ought to realize the pain of contraction is rapidly multiplying. We ought to be looking for the coming of the Lord. But we're not. We're listening to people say everything is peaceful and secure. Now they don't use that language today. This was written 2,000 years ago. People today say, oh man, they've been talking about Jesus coming back forever. It's all, hey, I ain't even worrying about that. that. That is today's everything is peaceful and secure. But you better watch out when you start hearing people say they don't believe the Lord is coming back because those are the ones who are going to get caught off guard. Verse 4 says, but you're not in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. See, if you are living right, if you have your eyes in the book, you know the time is close. If you are living right, you, if you really believe that a thief is on his way to your house, you get the gun out of the gun safe, and you put it next to you. And you make sure that it's loaded with a round in the chamber. If you, you make preparation when you know, hey, might not happen tonight, but I believe one day I'm going to be faced with this. Do you really believe one day the Lord is coming back? Do you really believe that one day God could drop the hammer and say, okay, let's line it all up. Let's, let's, let's go to the judgment right now today. It's going to happen when you least expect it. Verse 5 says, for you're all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. When the Bible says we, who's it usually talking about? Christians. Christians don't belong to the darkness and the night. We're the children of the light. We're the children of the day. Christians ought to realize soon and very soon we are going to see the Lord. See, if you knew what day you were going to see the Lord, some of you would change some stuff. Some of you would tighten some stuff up. Some of you get right in some areas. You better go ahead and do it now because you don't have the luxury the Ninevites had. You don't know what day. It's coming. I guarantee you, there was some, some really belligerent folk, they pulled out their calendar when dude said 40 days. They're like, uh, Thursday. What time he said it? 420, Thursday? No, 420 no, is a bad number. Uh, 315. <laughs> Y'all don't get it. You shouldn't. But we don't have that luxury. If you knew when God was just going to jump in your situation, You'd straighten some things out. The fact that we don't know means we ought to do it now. So we see the warning that God gives to the Ninevites through a reluctant preacher. But now I want us to see the response of the people. Look at verse 5, Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. says, The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Looking at it between the punctuation, the people of Nineveh believed God's message, comma, so that's calls for Paul. Stop and think about that. Now, here are the people of Nineveh for God or against God? They're against God. They're, they're God haters. They, they are not Christians, but they heard the message and believed it. They heard the message and believed. You see, they heard the, the, the warning, but now we gotta see what their response is. They heard the message, and they believed it. Not just a few of them, from the greatest to the least. All of them believed it. See, this is a miracle. All of them believed it. They declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. If I said, and I've been saying today, that God's coming back soon, and he's going to create judgment on everybody because he is, we need to get right with God. Some people would go for it. But other people wouldn't. They'd be like, ah, oh, man, they ain't talking about that forever. I got time. I got time. And see, that, that that's the lie that traps young people. You think you've got time. All you have to do is, is, is just queue into the city of Chicago. And, and and look, every day six people get shot in the city of Chicago on average. Every day. Six people, 42 and a half people every week in one city. And nobody talks about it. Every day. Other day, some child in single-digit ages dies in the city of Chicago. Now, don't you think that seven-year-old little girl sitting on her porch Thursday that got killed, don't you think she had time? She wasn't thinking about today being her last day. And that's the lie that the devil wants to trap all of us in, whether you're in your single digits, whether you're in your teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. By the time you get up up past 50s, you start realizing, man, I got to get some traction (laughs) because I got less days ahead of me than I got behind me. But all these people believed the message. All these people did what they were supposed to do. They believed God. What a concept. These weren't even Christian people. Preachers preached this to church folk, and church folk don't believe it. Church people don't give the right response to the warning. God gave a warning. These people had a response. Their response was to repent. Preachers give the warning all the time. Church folk are like, eh, maybe. Down the road. I'm, I'm going to give that up next year. What if. The people, every person who claims the name of Christ really went into repentance today around the world. It changed the world. What if everybody in this room decided, I'm going to pray like I should. I'm, I'm, I'm going to read the Bible like I should. I'm going to love God. I'm going to love people. I'm going to give right, be right, live, serve right, worship right. It changed the world. Not only did they believe God's word, but they did something about it. In Jonah 3.6, the Bible says, when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Now, it's easy to pick on Donald Trump. Uh, he's, he, he, he gives ammunition out for people to, to, to shoot him down with uh, every day. Um, but what if Donald Trump and everybody in the Senate, and everybody in the House of Representatives, and and all, everybody, from the president to the ditch digger, to the homeless person sleeping under a bridge, what if everybody stepped down from their throne and set aside what they think makes them something and responded properly to God? It'd be a different world. It'd be a different time. We'd We'd see a different result. This king... He takes, off his, he takes off his royalty, and he gets in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. This was their custom when they would go into a time of getting serious about getting right with God. They would take off their comfortable clothes, and you can imagine if you've ever seen a burlap sack, that's not comfortable to wear. See, one of the things God wants from everybody, he wants to get you out of your comfort zone and get you in your serious zone. He wants to get you out of your comfort zone and get you in your thinking right zone he wants it's like if you got on comfortable shoes you don't think about your feet you put on shoes that are too small you think about your feet you see when you get out of your comfort zone you start thinking about things more seriously and too many of us are stuck in our comfort zone in verse 7 then the king and his nobles said this decree throughout the city listen to how serious none of it got no one Not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. (laughs) That's deep. That's like we're going into a fast because we don't want God to destroy us. And we're so serious about it. I want to make sure you're so serious about it. I don't even want to see you giving your animals a bowl of water. No eating, no drinking, citywide limit. (laughs) That's serious. Verse 8, people and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. Now you're going to a whole new level here. Okay, the king's put on his burlap because that's the custom. People getting right with God. People getting serious, repenting, going into fasting, uh, p- feeling bad about their sin, what they call mourning. They put on uh, burlap. They sit in a pile of ashes, throw ashes on their head, realize that they're in a bad, disgusting situation. They need God's help to get them out. They're so serious. They're like, everybody's going to do it. Your animals, ain't, You better not be out there feeding and, and giving drink to your animals. Matter of fact, when you cut your burlap sack, a hole in it to put on your head like a poncho, cut one for your donkey too because we're going to have this thing right. You need to get right with God, and you need to get everybody and everything around you right with God as much as you can. And everyone must pray earnestly to God. See, fasting's not just doing away with food. Fasting is just a diet if you don't increase your prayer. They weren't looking for a diet. They were looking for real repentance. He said, everybody got to get real about praying. They got to turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. This is a great message for America. America is going to be judged by God. So is New Zealand and every other country you can think of. Every single human being, the Bible teaches, is going to be judged by God. By God, and because judgment is coming, the clock's ticking and judgment's coming, we better get serious about praying earnestly. We better turn away from our evil ways and stop all the violence, and listen to what verse nine says. Who can tell? Come Perhaps even yet, God will change His mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. I love that fourth word, and I love the first three that's the setup. Who can tell? He's doing this on a hope. He's doing this on a, I'm, I'm going to do the best I can and hope that it works. He didn't have any promise. He didn't have a promise from God. Turn from, all he heard 40 days from now, God destroying everything. And he's like, man, we, we better get serious about this thing. We better change some stuff. We better get right in some areas because who knows? Perhaps. Even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. This phraseology and this word, perhaps, is used throughout almost every single Old Testament prophet in the Old Testament. They were constantly saying, do this, and perhaps God might do that. I don't have a promise for you today that if you quit, quit whatever you is you need to be quitting, and you start doing whatever it is you need to start doing, I, I don't have a promise for you that says, by 24 hours later, everything's going to be perfect in your life. But I do know that the clock's ticking and judgment's coming, and perhaps was good enough for them. You get right with God for real yourself, perhaps God will save all your children. You start doing what God called you to do, perhaps God will save all your loved ones. You start doing what God told you to do. See, it's so easy. The people that don't like uh, uh, Trump, they, they criticize Trump. The people that don't like Obama, criticize Obama. The people that didn't like Bush 1 or 2, they criticize him. The people that didn't like Clinton, they cri- It's easy to criticize people in the distance. That's why pastors take so much heat. That's why I tell you all all the time, I ain't perfect. I'm in my process just like you are. But it's easy to criticize leaders because you think that lets you off the hook. It doesn't matter how shabby everybody else is. That don't change nothing for you you got to get right for you and hope that perhaps good things will come your way. See, desperate times call for desperate measures. And I want to get to closing this thing by asking you, are you desperate yet? Or do you need more judgment? Are you desperate yet? Or do you want to live to the 41st day the way you're going now? See, some of you have been stuck in your addiction for longer than 40 days. And God's mercy had not slammed you down yet. Some of y'all have been driving dirty for more than 40 days. And God's mercy ain't allowed, and, and cops' laziness ain't allowed you to get pulled over yet. Some of y'all been not reading like you should, not studying like you should, not giving like you should, not living like you should for more than 40 days. And you are not desperate to get right with God because, in effect, you don't believe that God can judge you. But the Bible says God's the judge of the whole world. They said, hey, man. We're desperate now. We're desperate now, and we're looking for a perhaps. Last verse. Let's look at the result. We saw the warning. We saw the response. Now let's look at the result. In verse 10 of Jonah chapter 3, when God saw what they had done, how they put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. God responded, listen, to their response. Do you see that? God responded to their response. They got a warning. You better get right. Trouble's coming. Clock's ticking. Judgment's on its way. They responded properly, and God responded to their response. Now, I'm going to point out something before I close. The wording here is along the same lines that the Bible uses anthropomorphic terms when it uses them. Anthropomorphism or anthropomorphic terms are uh, when... Human beings ascribe natural function to a deity so our limited minds can get a glimpse of what that deity looks like. What am I saying? The Bible says the arm of the Lord is not short that he cannot save. But God said God is a spirit and he doesn't have flesh and bones. So does God have an arm? No, he does not. Not like we think of an arm. Then why does it say the arm of the Lord? That's an anthropomorphic term trying to get us to understand God has reach. Okay? The Bible says that the ear of the Lord is open to the prayer of his children. Okay, well, if God is not a man, he's a spirit, he doesn't have flesh and bones, does God have an ear? No. No. Why does it say that the ear of the Lord? That's an anthropomorphic term. That's a natural aspect being prescribed to a deity so we can greater understand. It's not that God has, well, do his ears stick out? Are they pinned back? My ears are pinned so close to my head right now. I've been meaning to call mom and ask, did I have some kind of operation or something? I can't hardly pour glasses on my head. These ears are like, i got to pull them out to listen. <laughs> some people's ears are pinned tight. Some people's are bell. Some people got them really long. I mean, you know, you get them gauges. You can get earlobes like this. I mean, do, how, do, can God got an ear he could put gauges in? God doesn't have an ear. He's saying that in an anthropomorphic way so we can understand that God has hearing. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth. Does God have eyes? Not like these. If he has them, are they green? Are they brown? Are they blue? What are, he doesn't have eyes like we have eyes. It's an anthropomorphism trying to get us to understand God has the ability to see. Okay, so when it says this here, there's similar wording here along that same line. Because when God saw what they had done and how they put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. Now, if you really believe God changed his mind, you haven't read the whole book. God did not change his mind. It's impossible for God to change his mind. Then why does it say God changed his mind? Because it's trying to teach us something about God. See, here's here's the reality. If I tell my son, I I swear on everything, boy, if you don't take that trash out right now, if you don't take that trash out before my heart starts stops beating so fast, I am gonna take you upstairs and I'm gonna wear you out. Take that trash out, or you're gonna get a whooping. He takes the trash out and he thinks he stopped me from whooping him. I knew he was gonna take the trash out when I said it, based on the way I said it. And because I know him. I knew I didn't have to go get my belt. Because I knew he was going to do, uh, I said, hey, if, 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 y'all, if y'all clean up y'all's rooms real quick, we'll, we'll, we'll run up the street and get a milkshake. They think they made the decision to go get a milkshake. I wanted a milkshake. I knew if I said clean up your room, we're going to get a milkshake. Listen, God already knows the outcome before he gives the income. God already knows the, the end from the beginning. God already knew that these people were going to repent. He wanted them to know. God doesn't learn anything. And God's mind never changes. When you read words like this in the Bible, it's, it's so that we can understand a deeper point. The point is, they changed and God responded. And if you change, God will respond to you. God didn't change his mind, but he knew the whole time he wanted them to get it in their mind okay we got serious about God judgment didn't come we we stopped doing some stuff life got better God knew that was going to happen he wanted them to see the process and I want you to see the process in your own life see I'm telling you today to get serious about God God knows some will some won't I'm telling you today quit your addiction that you've been saying you were going to quit forever and some will some won't but the ones that do God knew they would and the ones that won't God knew that too so God already has judgment what's, what he says is reserved until the final day God's already got a judgment stored up for some of y'all and that's bad news for some of y'all but hear me good God has a blessing stored up for some of y'all because he knows some of y'all are going to get more serious today he knows some of y'all are going to have a response to the warning it's not that he changes his mind he wants you to see how quick he'll come in and save your situation. He wants you to see that he will respond to your repentance. See, here's the point. God's been giving warning forever. The whole message of the Old Testament was warning. The whole message of the New Testament was warning. Jesus said the greatest preacher ever was John the Baptist. John's message, the Bible says, in Matthew chapter 3, John came forward preaching, repent, because the kingdom is coming. When Jesus was alive, the, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 4 that from that time forward, when Jesus launched out into his public ministry, guess what his message was? Repent, for the kingdom is coming. So if it was the old, every Old Testament prophet's message, if it was John the Baptist's message, if it's Jesus' message, if it was all the disciples' message, it's still a message for us today. Repent, because judgment is coming. And you can either have the ax fall on you, Or you can have the blessing deliver you. The choice is completely yours. Not only do we need to hear the warning, but we need to respond to the warning. True repentance. Not not repent in our mind for five minutes. If you be honest, if you've been coming to church for any length of time, some of y'all made some decisions in a church service, I'm going to do better. And that lasted till you hit 103rd Street. I'm not talking about that type of repentance. The Bible says there is a repentance not to be repented of. See, what the problem, most Christians, they say, I'm going to stop doing that, then they go back to doing it. Then I'm going to stop doing that, and they go back to doing it. And it's a big ping pong match in their life. And they never gain any ground. They never gain any traction. They never truly walk in the blessing of God because they don't stay repented long enough. You need to repent from what you need to repent from, and you need to stay repented from it so God can work out your deliverance with fear. And we're trembling. We need to hear the warning of the Lord. We need to turn from our sin and desperately seek God's mercy. Then we can expect the same result. See, the Bible says we have these stories for our examples. We do what they did, we get the right response. What happened for them can happen to us. We say this and I'm done. Here's what happened to them God chose mercy over judgment. God chose mercy over judgment. Everyone in this room deserves judgment. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all are are not where we should be. The choice on what happens in your life is up to you. You can choose to respond in repentance and change. And you can cause God's response to be mercy over judgment. Or you can stay stuck on stupid and let the judgment come. People who are willing to let the chips fall where they may, when it comes to God, do not understand God well. Because it doesn't matter what God has to do to you. For some people, God gives a warning. Jonah said, judgment's coming. The king, everybody in that whole town repented immediately. Nothing bad had to happen to them. When Moses told Pharaoh what God said to do, Pharaoh said, no. Pharaoh chose the other way. And ten plagues came on Pharaoh. And he just got more stubborn and more stubborn. Some of y'all have been in chastisement for so long, it's your comfort zone. Some of y'all have been in chastisement for so long, it's what keeps you warm at night. It's just your common. it's just who you've become. But it's going to not only stay chastisement, but it's going to get to the point where it gets so bad on you that you're finally going to have to bend to God. In Pharaoh's case... It it, it wasn't turning water into blood. It wasn't the plague of flies, of lice. It it wasn't locusts. It it wasn't frogs. What it was in Pharaoh's life because God kept trying. Do what I say, boy. I won't plague. Do what I say, boy. I won't plague. Do what I say, boy. I won't plague. I don't even care about your plague, God. Bring me another one. Another one. I don't care about that one. Bring me another one. Another one. I ain't doing what you say because I ain't about that business. Another plague. I ain't doing what you say. God said, all right. Everyone got increasingly worse. So God took the one thing that Pharaoh did care about, his son. So I don't believe God would kill an innocent little boy. Read the Bible. God will take something away from you that you value so highly that you will have to pray. You can be like the Ninevites and hear, oh, man. It's time, Pastor Scott's right, it's time It's time for me to quit being childish. It's time for me to put away childish things. It's time for me to become a man of God. It's time for me to be a woman of God. It's time for me to get my priorities right. You can be the Ninevite, or you can be the Pharaoh. How much are you willing to lose? I don't know in your life what it would take. Financial trouble, physical trouble, emotional trouble. I don't know what in your life it will take. Loss of a parent, loss of a child. I don't know what in your life it will take. Loss of limb? I don't know what in your life it'll take, but I do know this from God's Word. He's serious, and he will do what he has to do to get you to obey him. He is serious about his children obeying him. See, every good dad and every good mom can make their child obey. You say, Pastor, my kids won't do what I tell them to do no matter how many times I tell them. Well, there's there's other things than just talk. You can make them obey. If you're willing to go to the level, you can make them obey. And I want you to hear this, and I'm done. God's willing to go to the level, whatever that means. He's willing to go to the level. He's willing to take this thing to the point to where you finally say, Okay, I surrender. I'll change. Be a Ninevite, be like the Ninevites, or be like Pharaoh. The choice is up to you. The good news is, if we do what they did, we can have what they have. They repented. They responded properly to the warning, and mercy followed. See, the warning still, judgment's coming. The response is still repentance, and the result is the same. Some of you know you've been doing something for so long, you think that it's Okay. I've had people tell me, oh, Pastor Scott, I, 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 I've been doing recreational drugs for a long time. God ain't never bothered me about that. But me and God don't have a problem with that. God said you must obey all the laws of the land. If that recreational drug is on a illegal list, got to quit it. But people think, oh, Pastor Scott, uh, we, we've been shacking up for so long. Uh, we, God, God knows our heart you just been doing something wrong so long, and God hasn't judged you because He's merciful. You think that He's not going to. You need to understand, judgment is for sure. Judgment is real. And God's not playing. And God is going to get His way. God is going to get His way because He is not a weak parent. I've seen children with just rebel to their parents face to face. Scream at them, hit them, tell them, I won't. And the parent just fold up like a cheap suit cave in. God is not that dude. God, if he has to grab you by the hand and squeeze your hand until all your fingers break off, is going to get your attention. He's serious about his word. He's serious about his people. And here's the reason why. It's not that he's some overbearing God who wants to force his way on you. It's he's a loving Father who wants you to get in the blessing lane. He wants you to get blessable. He wants you to quit being stupid so He can start pouring out His blessing on you. He wants you to stop doing that dumb stuff so He can finally reveal Himself fully to you. There are people in the room that have truly never felt the arms of God around them. There are people in the room that have never truly felt blessed by the Lord. There are people in the room that have never truly felt peace and joy on the inside because they won't get their hands off the dumb stuff so they can grab hold of God. Judgment's coming. The Lord is returning. We're going to stand before God and give an account for our lives. Wouldn't you rather get right before then? Get right. Stay right. Live right. Do the right thing. I don't know what that means for you. I know what it means for me. Scott, you got areas you need to, yeah. The better question for you to ask is, do you have any areas that you need to get better in? Is there anything that you need to quit? Is there anything you need to start doing more of? All I can do is be Jonah in this story. All I can do is be the one whose voice is going out, telling the truth. You get to decide your level of response. There is no king in this church that can make everybody get in burlap. But there is a God in this church who will allow you to repent. Not so he can crush you, but so he can bless you. You say, well, I wouldn't even know how to be if I gave up this or if I started doing that. Honor God. See, here's what I believe. If you'll ask God what He wants from you, I believe He'll show you quickly. I don't know what you need to quit doing. And I don't know what you need to do more of. But I know God will show you if you'll seek Him. And it's better to get right before the judgment comes. Get right before the whooping. Because after the whooping happens, He's going to tell you the same thing anyway. And you're going to have to get right in the end even if you decide to thumb your nose at God until the final day and you never even become a Christian the Bible says still that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord everybody's going to say that some of us are saying it now willingly others will be forced at the great white throne judgment of God to bend their knees and confess to Jesus You ought to get right with God while you have opportunity, not while you're forced to. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, God, for speaking a second time and a third time. Thank you, God, for allowing us to respond in a proper way. God, I pray that as a result of this warning today that someone would fast. God, that someone would repent. That someone would take serious your call to holiness that someone would stop doing something that is detrimental to their Christianity and that someone would start doing something that will benefit their Christianity. God, I pray, Lord, that people will get right with you in whatever capacity they need to get right with you. We're your children. We don't want to disappoint you. We're your children, and we'd rather you bless us than beat us. We're your children, and we'd rather have blessing than chastisement. God, I pray you'd give us faith to do what it is that we know we need to do. And I pray that you'd give us the same result, mercy over judgment, every time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry